all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. From MPB Think Radio, this is Southern Remedies, Relatively Speaking, the show all about you and your family. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, Development and Behavioral Pediatrician and Professor Emeritus at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Have you delayed a visit to the doctor or canceled a surgical procedure due to your fears? Do you believe that medical or dental personnel do a good job allaying those procedural fears, or does the informed consent make your anxiety worse? Do you need some calming ideas for having those checkups or procedures done? Let's talk about what's going on in your life. Share your comments and experiences with us this morning by calling one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 7464 or you can send an email to family at mpbonline.org. This is Relatively Speaking from MPB Think Radio. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Windsor Johnston. President Trump says he'll announce his nominee to fill the open seat on the U.S. Supreme Court tonight. If confirmed, the president's pick will succeed Justice Antonin Scalia, who died last year. NPR's Nina Totenberg reports that during last year's presidential campaign, Trump had a list of 21 possible nominees to the nation's highest court. Leading contenders for the position are said to be Judge Neil Gorsuch, a scholarly conservative with a flair for clear and vivid writing, who sits on the federal appeals court based in Denver, and Judge Thomas Hardiman, a popular and hardworking judge on the appeals court based in Philadelphia. Hardiman reportedly has the support of the president's sister, who sits on the same court. A devout Catholic, he's known for decisions favoring expansive rights for gun owners. Gorsuch is perhaps best known publicly for votes he cast favoring challenges to the requirement in the Affordable Care Act that employer health insurance cover birth control. Nina Totenberg, NPR News, Washington. The top Democrat on the Senate Judiciary Committee says she will vote against President Trump's nominee to be the next attorney general. The committee is meeting today to vote on the nomination of Senator Jeff Sessions, Senator Dianne Feinstein of California. It is very difficult to reconcile for me the independence and objectivity necessary for the position of attorney general with the partisanship this nominee has demonstrated. Feinstein also praised Sally Yates, the former acting attorney general. She was fired by President Trump last night after she questioned the constitutionality of his refugee and immigration ban. Two of the president's cabinet's nominees cleared another hurdle on their way to Senate confirmation. NPR's Jeff Brady reports a Senate committee approved the nominations of Rick Perry for Secretary of Energy and Ryan Zinke for Secretary of the Interior. The votes were largely along party lines. Opposing former Texas Governor Rick Perry's nomination, Democratic Senator Maria Cantwell acknowledged Perry's role in advancing wind power in his state, but she said... He also chose to spend much of his agenda trying to add 11 new coal plants and suing EPA at every chance he could. Republican Senator Steve Daines congratulated Montana Representative Ryan Zinke for making history as the next Secretary of the Interior. We became a 
a state in 1889, and Ryan Zink will be the first Montana to ever serve in a president's cabinet. The nominations now go before the full Senate for a vote. Jeff Brady, NPR News. The Senate committee today also approved Betsy DeVos for Education Secretary. Stocks are trading lower on Wall Street at this hour. The Dow was down 156 points. The Nasdaq Composite down 35. The S&P 500 down 11. This is NPR News in Washington. Philippine President Rodrigo Duterte appears to be putting his controversial war on drugs on hold amid allegations of widespread corruption in the police force. Michael Sullivan reports more than 7,000 people have been killed since Duterte took office in June. Here's President Duterte speaking to the national police a few days after he was sworn in. Do your duty, and if in the process you kill 1,000 persons, I will protect you. That's over. The president, embarrassed by the recent kidnap and murder of a South Korean businessman, allegedly by drug police in an extortion scheme. The police are now out of the drug war, the drug enforcement agency in, and Duterte has hinted he might ask the military to help root out corrupt elements of the police, which he now accuses of being rotten to the core. For NPR News, I'm Michael Sullivan in Chiang Rai. Sporadic fighting between government forces and Russian-backed separatists in eastern Ukraine is escalating. NPR's Lucy and Kim reports the renewal of hostilities coincides with the inauguration of President Trump, who has pledged to improve relations with Russia. The fighting is concentrated near the industrial town of Avdiivka, just north of Donetsk, the main city controlled by pro-Russian fighters. According to the Ukrainian foreign ministry, eight Ukrainian soldiers were killed and 26 wounded. A fragile ceasefire hammered out by Ukraine, Russia, Germany, and France two years ago is under threat. The government in Kiev fears President Trump's interest in lifting sanctions on Russia will leave Ukraine on its own. NPR's Lucy and Kim. I'm Windsor Johnston, NPR News in Washington. Support for NPR comes from NPR stations. Other contributors include the law firm Cooley LLP. With offices in the U.S., Europe, and China, Cooley advises entrepreneurs, investors, financial institutions, and established companies around the world, where innovation meets the law. This is Relatively Speaking with Dr. Susan Buttress on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, family at mpbonline.org. And now, Relatively Speaking on MPB Think Radio. For listening. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress here today for us to talk about doctor anxiety or procedural anxiety. So I have a few questions for you. Have you delayed a visit to the doctor or canceled a surgical procedure due to your fears? Do you believe that the medical or dental personnel do a good job of allaying those procedural feels, or do you sometimes find that as they're giving informed consent that you become more and more anxious? Or is it the procedure that makes you anxious at, at all? Do you need some calming ideas of having those checkups or procedures done? Um, I want you to talk about 
what's going on in your life. You can share your comments and experiences with us this morning by calling one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can send an email to family at mpbonline.org. So today, to help us with this, we have... Uh, two experts uh, to talk to us about sort of what's behind these concerns and the and the possible dangers of delaying checkups or procedures um, when we let anxiety get in the way. Um, we have Dr. David Elkin, who is a psychologist, who's been a fairly frequent visitor on Southern Remedy and Relatively Speaking. He is the executive director of the Center for the Advancement of Youth at UMMC. And then we have a surgeon, Dr. Tim Abston, who is a general surgeon in the Jackson uh, metropolitan area, to talk to us also about that informed consent, procedural anxiety he sees, and perhaps some of the issues or reasons that he views as the reason that some individuals might have trouble. So thanks to both of you for being here. Good morning. It's great to be here this morning. I agree. So I know I'm, Dr. Elkin has a bit of a cold. He kind of needs a doctor himself. So, um, well, poor thing. He's agreed to come in anyway. I appreciate it. I was fine. You know that. And I know Dr. Abston just came running in from clinic. So thanks for your time. We appreciate that, too. So... I thought it might be interesting to just kind of know the name of some of what we're dealing with. So, nosocomophobia is the name of the phobia related to the fear of hospitals. Okay, so there are actually some people out there who are just really terrified of a hospital. And um, actually, a relative of mine who is no longer with us used to just really avoid hospitals at all costs. They made him anxious, and he he just didn't like going. He visited sick people all the time, but when it came to going into a hospital, once they were admitted, he had difficulty. So I guess you see that's some. Um, another name is tomophobia. That's the fear of surgery, fear of surgical procedures. And then um, a pretty obvious name, pharmacophobia, is the fear of medicine. So there are apparently millions of people out there who have hospital um, anxiety or certainly procedural anxiety. And, and I've talked with Dr. Tim about this in the, in the past, and you see this fairly often. <clears throat> uh, relatively often. Oftentimes you have people that will come in and they'll have put off things for not just weeks, months, or years sometimes. And it's them not being comfortable with getting a diagnosis and then proceeding with it. They'd rather not know than to know. So it's the fear of finding out something perhaps bad. Exactly. And oftentimes I find this in family members or members of a family who their mother, daughter, sister have had similar type issues. And then they know what to look out for. And even though they're most likely convince themselves that they possibly have that procedure they don't want to know because they're fearful of having to follow the same course that they've seen their family member go down. 
But what happens then when when this individual delays because of a previous person that they cared about or loved who had a bad outcome, what they do is put themselves at further risk for a terrible outcome, right? Oh, that's exactly right. Um, not, not very frequently, but also not infrequently. I'll have patients who will come in, and I'll just use an example of you know certain kinds of cancers, uh, specifically breast cancer, and they'll delay for weeks, months, they'll notice a lump or they'll notice a new rash and they'll, they won't come in even though they're at high risk for that, having this um, condition until they'll wait until it actually has spread and where you go from having a high chance of being able to cure them to a much less likely chance uh, because now it's in more advanced disease. Right. So so we're here today to talk about this and to, to hear from you, our listeners, if you have any fears or anxiety about issues, call in. Let us talk to you about those fears. Maybe we can help you. Or if you have a relative who perhaps has delayed and you feel like something needs to happen and you need help for them, let us know. Um, give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one seven seven six seven two seven four six four give us a call and let us hear about your thoughts or worries or if it's happened to you how how did you get beyond those fears so dr elkin do you do you often talk do people come in and ask you for help with this kind of thing they do and you hit it on the head when you said people are afraid of medical procedures there's kind of two things people kind of fall into two camps one some people want to know everything you're about to do to them right, they want a right. lot of information and when they fear that you're not giving them enough they get nervous the other type of folks don't really want to know anything um they just you know don't tell me just do it but it's still a fear and an anxiety inside. And so talking to um, adults and kids as well about getting them through the procedure sometimes can be helpful. Right. I, I think I, I wonder how many times instead of realizing that individuals need to go for help, um, they they just cancel procedures or delay them, like Dr. Abstin was just saying, um, and and sort of go into an avoidance mode. I imagine that happens pretty regularly. It does, especially with chronic conditions. So speaking from personal experience, um, you know, kids with cancer, you mentioned Dr. Abstin, breast cancer, sometimes kids with cancer, um, they'll hold off on certain procedures even for a few days because the the kid won't, you know, calm down enough, even for a small procedure such as a a stick or a blood draw or something like that, and that's that can be problematic. Mm-hmm. So parents will fall into the trap of worrying so much about causing upset or anxiety to their precious child that they adore, they may delay procedures that really don't need to be delayed. So, um, so I think um, we talked about some of the reasons that people are so fearful uh, about this. One, about a bad diagnosis, Dr. Abstin. Now, you mentioned something um, b- before the radio show about another reason that often people don't want to have a procedure done, and that was the fear of being out of control. And, and and not um, being in control of what's going on when you're under, say, general anesthesia. That is a problem that I have patients several times a week will come and talk to me, and they're, they're afraid, especially people who have never undergone any sort of general anesthesia. 
because in their mind, it's still someone with a bottle of ether and a rag putting you to sleep um, and <laughs> without any real being monitored. And of course, that's that's a ridiculous, um, ridiculous to think about nowadays with the way that we monitor patients, the way everything's controlled with general anesthesia, <clears throat> excuse me, general anesthesia. But um, it's that not knowing, being at to- someone else's uh, mercy, totally, you're totally helpless. And so it's frequently people will say, I can't handle that. I don't want to be put all the way to sleep because I don't want to have no control over my body, what you're doing, the decisions you're making. So, gosh, when you know, I mean, there there's some procedures, there's some general surgeries I know where you have to be completely under. You can't do some of the surgical procedures under local anesthesia, right? Oh, absolutely. The majority of the surgeries that I do in the operating room, you have to be under general anesthesia. That's a breathing tube that's being monitored by your blood pressure and your oxygen saturation, and you're you're paralyzed. Literally, you're paralyzed. And so um, people have a hard time letting go, especially more of the type A personalities. Um, and that coupled with me doing a procedure where I have already told them all the things that could go wrong, might go wrong, and they have no say at the time when they're under anesthesia of saying yes or no. So like Dr. Elkin said earlier, there's some people who want to know absolutely everything about the procedure. Um, And so sometimes that informed consent, like I said during the billboard or the opening, that that informed consent sometimes gives you so much information that um, you maybe are at risk of increasing anxiety even further. So... We informed consent is something that has over the last uh, several decades is where we have to tell you about the possibilities of complications. And, and I think it's a great thing to do because you want a patient to know what could happen, however unlikely, you know, whether it's a 1% chance, a 10% chance or a 0.001% chance. But you need to know that what possibly could happen during your operation because you have to be um, able to weigh the risk benefits for yourself. The patients need to be self-empowered. But at the same time, I'm going through this list of coulda, mighta, possibly things that could happen. And I see people's eyes getting bigger, their knuckles getting whiter. <laughs> You're and right. I, I've terrifying. had someone almost just walk out of the room because I'm talking about doing a colon surgery and the possibility of needing a second operation or needing a colostomy placement. And so it's things that are very concerning for a patient when they're telling these things that could go wrong because in their mind now all of these things are going to happen to them right so dr elkin there are some ways to do informed consent um i'm sure that may help individuals through but you're still giving information that is going to be anxiety provoking. I know that, you know, I've had informed consent before on the surgical procedure that I had. And, you know, at the bottom, it's and you can die. I mean, because that complication can happen. I know there are ways to help individuals through this. Um, and maybe what we'll do is um, try to um, talk about sort of in general what those ways are. 
as we move along. Um, I know that there are several studies that have been done looking at that fight-or-flight phenomena that people get, like Dr. Abstin, you just said, people um, wanting to just run out of um, of the the exam room when you're trying to give the good informed consent. So um, what? let's do this. Let's go to our first break, and then we have Doug on the phone from Jackson. Doug will be right back with you. We're talking about doctor fear, hospital fear, procedural fear, and how that can impact your health. Uh, we want to hear from you. Give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 7464 Or you can send us an email to family at mpbonline.org. We'll be right back. If you're a sustaining member of MPB Think Radio, we appreciate your support of our programs. To become a sustainer, go to mpbonline.org. Hey, it's Peter Sagal. Are you resolved to lose a few pounds this year? How about a few thousand pounds through the Public Radio Vehicle Donation Diet? Donate your old car, truck, or RV to support this station and drop a lot of unwanted weight from your garage in a matter of days. And you'll feel great because you're also supporting public radio in the biggest of ways. It's easy, fast, and you may even earn a tax write-off. Donate your car, motorcycle, boat, or RV by going to mpbonline.org. To listen to stories and shows, go to mpbonline.org. This is Relatively Speaking on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, family at mpbonline.org. This is Relatively Speaking. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, and I'm here with Dr. Tim Abston, a surgeon, general surgeon, and Dr. David Elkin, psychologist, both with us talking about Dr. Fear, hospital fear, how that can impact your health when you let it get in the way of procedures that really need to be done or checkups even that just need to be done. But let's go on to the phone before we talk any further. We have Doug and Jackson. Doug, you have some thoughts about hospital anxiety? Yes, ma'am. Good morning. Thanks for calling. Uh, Dr. Buttress, I appreciate you taking my call. There's a couple of things, and uh, things that have happened in the last few days concerning this subject matter you're speaking of. And number one is the fact that last week my older brother had a hip replacement. When the anesthesiologist, a couple of guys, as a matter of fact, were prepping him before the operation, they said, well, now, we wouldn't want you to know things do happen and can happen, you know. Right. Here was his attitude. He says, fellas, he said, y'all don't worry about it. He said, if everything doesn't go according to plan, 
I'll get to spend my first day in heaven. So go ahead and do what you got. <laughs> now that was that was his attitude. Uh-huh. Then, then last week also, one of my very best friends was in a local hospital here, and uh, and he had been told uh, that uh, he had not had a heart attack, but he had some symptoms, and he went to the cardiologist and. It was determined that he needed a five-bypass operation after after they did the catheterization and all of this business. Wow. So he, um, one of the local doctors, uh, of course, he had a local doctor here in a local mm-hmm. hospital, and the doctor told him what he had to have and all, and he's in the hospital at this time, and he said, Doctor, I'll just tell you verbatim what he said to the doctor. Now, this, my friend is a Christian. Mm-hmm. But anyhow, he says, uh, the doctor told him what the situation was. And he said, he said, doctor, he said, that scares the hell out of me. <laughs> and uh, that's exactly what you're talking about. So right. I went up and visited with him. He was scheduled for surgery on Thursday morning, last Thursday. At 7 a.m. And uh, Wednesday night, I went up to visit with him, and I was in the cardiac unit with him for about 15 or 20 minutes. And we talked about a lot of things, the fact that he had some anxiety about his surgery. I had a prayer with him and all of this. And uh, and anyhow, uh, the next, uh, the later that evening, I... I bid his family farewell, you know, and I was coming back to see them the next morning. Well, it turned out that I had an emergency, and I didn't get to see uh, come up till the afternoon. And it, uh, what materialized was they didn't get to him till about eleven o'clock or twelve o'clock that next day instead of seven. And I didn't get to go up till about 5 o'clock. But what happened is uh, everything went fine. The the doctor said everything was fine. And they closed up, and he was back in the cardiac unit in recovery and all of this. Uh And apparently he had a, a bad outcome from that. When I went up the next day, the family was not there or anything. And he coded, mm-hmm. and he and this afternoon, I'm going to his memorial because yeah. he donated his body to the UMC. Yeah, Doug, that is here's, just here's my anxiety. If the doctor tells me you need a five bypass, right? I, to my friend, and I say, well, now suppose he had not allowed himself to be operated on, he would most. Probably if he took it easy, knowing what his problem was, if he took it easy, there's no telling how long he would live. But as it is, he's gone on to heaven now. He didn't want to go to heaven at that time. I know he wanted to stay here with his family. Now, if the doctor at this point tells me, and I've had four-stage cancer myself, but if the doctor tells me that I need a five-bypass operation, then I'm going to probably take the position, well, I'm not going to have it. I'm glad 
Well, Doug, I certainly understand what you're saying, and and I'm so sorry for your loss of your good friend. I can tell that's really affected you severely. Um, but yes, you're right. He may still be alive, um, but he might not. Um, you know, when you have that type of vascular disease, um, cardiac vascular disease, you're you're really right, walking on a tightrope. Um, Dr. Abstin, I don't know if you have any comments on that, but... Um. Well, I'm, again, Doug, I also apologize for your recent loss. That's that's very traumatic for you. Um, what I will say is there's something, especially in my training, that they used to hark back on me because, unfortunately, bad things do happen. This is... It, it's no, There's no guarantees... As good as medicine is, surgery. yeah. Yeah. And they used to say you have to be careful of looking through the retrospectoscope, meaning hindsight is twenty twenty, but we can't go back and change what we did. Um, complications do happen. I mean, again, that's why we have to tell you. But, again, if we put off doing any procedure because things could happen, and they have happened in the past, then we're going to have a lot more people out there that are much sicker and not getting the help that they need. So uh, I don't know if you have any further comment, Dr. Elkin. Sure. So this is anxiety is um, one of the hardest things to treat because it makes sense. Um, Mm -hmm. So Doug's concerns make sense. Right. You know, if someone were to say, well, that's probably not going to happen to you. If you have that five uh, stent procedure, he would be able to say, well, it did. It happened to a friend of mine. And so, you know, anxiety holds water in a sense because it could happen. And that's the part that you have to sort of get over is living with that risk. Uh, I would use a simple example as this. You know, your odds of getting in a car wreck are very high compared to some of these medical procedures. But somehow we find the ability to say, I'll take that chance. Mm-hmm. We get in the car every day to go to the grocery or Walmart or whatever. And we say, it's, it's worth it to go to the store. I might get in a wreck, but I'll still do it. And taking that ability that we have as people and applying it to a medical setting, such as a surgical procedure, is, I think, very helpful for some people. Yeah. Doug, thank you so much for that call, and um, thanks for that story. I think there are probably several people out there who have experienced the same thing. Actually, I lost a very, very dear friend of mine many years ago, and I'm still sad about it. She had a surgical procedure that... um, that was something that uh, was pretty common. People go through it all the time. They come out of it all the time just fine. She ended up um, having a pulmonary embolism um, at the uh, end of her hospital stay right before she was going home. Those things happen. We do everything we can to prevent them, but they still happen. So. Um, We are talking about Dr. Fear, Hospital Fear, procedural issues, um, the impact that they can have on your health when you delay um, needed procedures. And we want to hear from you. Give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can send an email to family at mpbonline.org. Let's talk a little bit more about um, that informed consent. At the break, we we talked about a couple of things that um, I think both of you had some little additions to make. One one thing, Dr. Elkin, you said that you do in the cancer clinic. Uh, Tell us about that. So sometimes it's hard for people to get their head around what a percentage means. And so if you say there's a 
10% chance that this could occur. I mean, I, I can sort of hear that, but I also hear, um, you know, the positive side is a 90% chance it won't happen. So sometimes um, what some physicians will do is show people a picture of like a, a 10 by 10 grid with squares colored in smiley face and, you know, 90 of them colored in smiley face and then 10 or not. And so you can sort of look at it and go, oh, I see, it's, it's, it's like that. And so it, it helps people to see, not just hear about chances. And I think Dr. Abson had a suggestion as well. Yeah. Um, well, something that I had mentioned, um, a couple of different things, is just presenting, you know, instead of saying a 1% chance, you do a, a one, you know, there's a one in five or give it kind of like a batting average or make it uh, some analogous to something else that might be more relatable. Um, but something that I've seen more and more, especially over the last several years, is I do I love for patients to be empowered and to educate themselves. But problems that you have when people get a little overeducated when they get online and they'll Google gallbladder surgery. And of course, they're going to come across the you know, worst hundred things that you could imagine right. that might happen. And they're not, it's so rare for these to happen, but they get sensationalized, especially when they're on the internet, that people will come in saying, well, what about this complication, this complication, and this? And I've said, well, there's, you know, about a one in 10,000 chance that that could happen. So it's incredibly rare, but in their mind, it's just like I mentioned before, it's going to happen to them. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think, you know, Doug's story um, just sort of brought that home. And, and of course, when you have to have a quintuple bypass, um, that you're already at very high risk anyway. But I, I, the, the risk of death when you have that much cardiac disease is very high, whether you have a procedure or not. So let's go back to the phones. We have Dudley in Calhoun County. Good morning, Dudley. Thanks for calling. Thank you. You have I, some comments about a stress test. Yes, I did. I had a quad bypass surgery 15 years ago. Oh, wow. The doctor informed me that I had 15 years to, to live, that it would extend my life. Uh, recently, after other tests I've had, my cardiologist encouraged me to have a, a stress test and two other tests. I can't remember uh, pronounce the name of the two, but I was really, really upset because the doctor had told me that I had 15 years extended to my life and this was the 15th year. I, I canceled the test once and then finally I got enough courage to go in and last Wednesday I had all three tests and they all turned out great. Wonderful. Yeah, I just had to uh, to tell you about that after the other experience with the young man because open heart surgery does work. Thank you, Dudley. That's a great, wonderful story, wonderful outcome for you. And you must also be taking good care of yourself for everything to come out so perfectly 15 years later, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for calling in. Yeah. Dudley, thank you. We needed a positive story after our sad previous story. Um, so congratulations and hope your health will stay wonderful as it is now. Thank you. Thank you for your call. Well, let's go next to um, Robert in Olive Branch. Um, Robert, you have a story about a bypass surgery? Well, I, I just had a comment about uh, 
what the gentleman went through, uh, the one, especially the one that was trying to help, and I think it would matter a lot as to the to your age. Uh, I'm presently 81. If, if the doctor told me I needed five bypasses, I would not have five bypasses. I would live. Uh, as the other gentleman said, uh, an easy life. Of course, I'm already living an easy life <laughs> and and live out the, my days. If I was a 35-year-old man, I would definitely have the five bypasses because that's the only way I would be able to live a life and have a family and be a family man. So I, I think you would have to weigh what what age bracket you're in and where you are in life as to, you know, this is part of your decision. Robert, you have some really good points, I think. Um, Robert, that's a that's a really good point, uh, because when you're depending on the riskiness of the procedure, meaning you have to. For any surgeon, you have to weigh the mortality risk, morbidity and mortality, so the risk of complications and the risk of death. And it, it has to be based on the patient, your the patient's age, their other risk factors, whether they're, they have any other chronic medical conditions. And there's even certain resources available to uh, surgeons or medical professionals where they can um, calculate your risk of having certain complications to a certain percentage based on prior studies and history. And so that's something that when you go in there to talk about this with a physician, you know, if you want to ask about these risk calculators or your chances of risk based on your age and other medical conditions, that's something that A, you, he should be bringing up and talking to you about, or B, if you don't get the answer that, or you don't feel that your answer is adequately answered, then, you know, press the issue just a little bit more. Yeah, I, thank you for bringing that up, Robert, because uh, there, there are many issues that have come up, like um, when should women stop getting mam- mammograms done? Um, when should a man have prostate cancer treatment done, uh, knowing that prostate cancer can affect people at, you know, it can be quite prolonged. So if you're in your 80s, do you really want to go through any kind of treatment? So there, that that age has a, a big issue. Um, knee surgery, joint surgery, all that kind of thing, too, um, can have a big effect. So we are talking about doctor fear, procedural fear, anxiety, hospital phobias, and how to deal with those, what they can do to your health if you delay procedures or should you delay procedures. Um, how much information do you really need? And if you are so anxious that it's delaying things for you, what you need to do about it. When we get back, we'll talk about that. And we want to hear from you. Give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring that's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. This is relatively speaking. We'll be right back.
informative MPB news stories, the local shows you love, up-to-date severe weather info, and the state and worldwide reach telling the story of Mississippi. You're listening to MPB Think Radio. Southern Remedy is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio and is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and by the generous support from you, our listeners. Hi, I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo for Southern Remedy. Each Wednesday, we answer your calls on health issues of interest to you. They range from medical questions on kids, young adults, baby boomers, and seniors. Whatever you need to know. Join me for Southern Remedy tomorrow morning at 11 on MPB Think Radio. To listen to stories and shows, go to mpbonline.org. This is Relatively Speaking on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, Call 877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, family at mpbonline.org. Welcome back. This is Relatively Speaking. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, and I'm here with Dr. David Elkin, psychologist, and Dr. Tim Abston, general surgeon. We're talking about Dr. Fear, hospital fear, how that can impact your health, what you can do about it. And um, as we were talking about all of this, we were talking about the fact that a lot of times people fear procedures uh, due to the fact that they there's that loss of control. And, and I can tell you that was one of my biggest fears with the, the one surgery that I had, that I would not... Uh, be in control not of what I would say when I was coming out of anesthesia or going into anesthesia, what um, what I would do. And not that I have any deep, dark secrets, but that was really a concern of, of mine. And um, I have a funny story. Um, all, the, all the things that I could have spoken about, I woke up talking about Trader Joe's and how I love that store um, to the nurse in recovery. And she thought it was the funniest thing. Um, so I think that that loss of control um, can be an overriding issue. Now, we've, we've talked about um, why you might not have a procedure. We've talked about informed consent. But what we thought we'd do now um, is we'll take calls about any question you have. So please do give us a call. We've got open lines. Give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring um, or that's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. If you have any questions or just a story about um your issues, concerns, whether your own or your friends. Um, but let's talk now. Let's talk a little bit about how you can allay those fears, what you can do about them. So um, let's start with just feeling comfortable with who you're going to. Um, 
pretty important, right, guys, that we um, you don't want to go to someone that you don't have complete confidence in that in. So how do you establish that? How do you make sure that you have confidence in that person? Well, a lot of times you have patients who come in and at least when I'm interacting with them, you automatically click and you, you feel like you immediately establish a good doctor patient bond. And, and that's wonderful, you know, to, for them to feel comfortable with what you're doing, for you to feel comfortable that they trust you enough. However, that's, I'm not perfect, even though sometimes no. uh, all surgeons seem to think we are perfect. <laughs> and I've had patients, you know, question me and I get a bad vibe and then they get a, they don't get a good feeling for me. It's, it's not frequent, but when that does happen, I sometimes do encourage patients that, you know, if we don't have a good relationship to start with, as intimate as surgery can be for that patient, that maybe they should go talk to another surgeon in the community or wherever and see if they can establish a better a better relationship. And the same goes along with uh, depending on what facility you might be having your procedure done at, whether, you know, if it's a community-based hospital or an academic center, you want to make sure that you're comfortable at that facility. You don't want to constantly feel uptight because even that just general stress response can make you feel, it can increase your pain, can um, decrease your ability to get out of the hospital in a timely fashion. You just want to make, make sure that you feel comfortable. So going through that trust, obviously you want to check someone's credentials, make sure that they're certified in all the areas. But then that rapport that you mentioned is so very important and how much, if if you don't have that rapport and that trust, then you may be a little more anxious. And we've talked about that on this show so many times, increases your heart rate, increases your respiratory rate, increases your blood pressure and even can um, decrease your response to pain medication, right, Dr. Elkin? Exactly. And having that, as Dr. Elkin said, having that connection with the person will make you feel more at ease physiologically, not just in your head. You know, you feel comfortable, but you'll relax more. Um, and it just sort of makes things flow along better. Um, you know, we're relational creatures. You know, we're made to be in relationship. In fact, there's that study that came out of Harvard where they followed the a class of uh, men at that time who graduated from Harvard in the 1930s. One of them was John F. Kennedy. And the one thing that led to happiness down the road, the one thing, not wealth, not power, not position, was how many relationships those people had. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so down the road when they're 80, 85 years old. So what Dr. Epson is talking about is incredibly important. Do you have a good relationship with your physician? Do you trust him or her? Yeah, that trust. That way you can relax and not worry so much about what's going to happen when you're out of control. You know the right thing will happen because you trust that person to do that. Well, let's go back to the phones. We have um, Mitchell and Mize. Um, Mitchell, you have some comments about bypass surgery. Yes. Uh, about six and a half years ago, uh, I had uh, a double bypass uh one was the main uh, Widowmaker artery. And I, what I want to stress is the importance of having routine checkups. That uh, I have a great team. Uh, Dr. Brian Barksdale was my cardiologist. Oh, we know Dr. Barksdale. He's a great well, one. Well, Dr. Barksdale, because of my family history, and my father-in-law had bypass surgery, and I'd go with him, and I would visit with listening. I was 
my father-in-law's listing aid, I guess. So I got the no doc Barksdale and started going to him. And my father had died at 45 massive heart attack. And my baby brother had a massive heart attack at 49. And wow. I'm 70 years old right now. So, uh, but, uh, I went in for a routine checkup. I'd had a couple of nuclear stress tests and calcium score. Everything seemed fine. So two years later, after the last uh, nuclear stress test, I went in, had a, just a routine treadmill stress test, and Dr. Barksdale saw something that he hadn't been seeing. Mm-hmm, and that's mm-hmm. the point I want to make, that that baseline, he got that baseline there. Right. That saved, that saved my life because he saw that. He had me go in two days later for heart cath. And I'll never forget what he said when he said, I am so sorry. And uh, he said, you got a 95% blockage in the wood of my artery. Yeah. He said, if you have a heart attack right now, I can't save you. So I had had the uh, surgery the next day and was back home. That was on a Friday, and I was back home Tuesday afternoon and had a look back. Wonderful. You thanks for making that point to our listeners that that preventive care. You had a very difficult family history and you were clearly at very high risk for having something negative happen to you. And so to have had that um just for the listeners um Dr. Abstin, will you tell people what the the widowmaker what that means? Um it's a it's a particular area in the coronary arteries, right? Um, so basically it's the, one of the, there's several main arteries that provide blood flow to the heart, but this one, if it was totally blocked or became blocked, it would basically decrease the function to the left side of the heart to the point where you wouldn't be able to pump blood in your, uh, to your body. To your body, yeah. So it, it um, supplies the blood to a big, huge part of the heart muscle. So, um, Mitchell, thanks for your positive story. Thank you for your plug for preventive medicine. That's what we're talking about here is don't let that interfere with your ability to take good care of yourself. Don't let anxiety interfere with that. Well, we're going to take one more break. And when we come back, we have Paco and Senatobia. We'll be right back with you. We have another caller coming in. Stay with us. This is Relatively Speaking. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, and we'll be right back. From the Capitol steps to your front door, MPB News covers the state like no one else. Our team of award-winning journalists keeps you informed on the news affecting your life. MPB News, online at mpbonline.org and on MPB Think Radio. Aaron, who's called in from Arkansas. Mary in Ocean Springs. Marlou is on the line in Jackson. Rachel is in Clarksdale. At MPB Think Radio, we are everywhere you want to go. Sardis. Henleyville. Greenwood. Jackson. Oxford. Ocean Springs. Meridian. Hattiesburg. And we're going to Memphis. So go anywhere you want. We'll be right there with you. MPB Think Radio, where Mississippi is our mission. And trust in radio built around you. Mississippi Public Broadcasting.
This is Relatively Speaking on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, family at mpbonline.org. This is Relatively Speaking. Thanks for listening today. We're talking about Dr. Fear, hospital fear, how it can impact your health, and um, how to allay the anxiety. Uh, We've had several great callers, and we're going to go right on back to the phones. We have uh, Paco and Senatobia. Good morning. Hello. Good morning. Thanks for calling. Now, you have a twist. You have some comments about pre-surgery. I do, and just preventive care also. Uh, I am a career massage therapist, 12 years, and if people would incorporate massage into their uh, lives, it's been around thousands of years. Uh, Right. something to it, and especially before procedure. um, It just relaxes you, and if you can train yourself, to every time you think about the procedure and you start feeling that anxiety well up, take a very deep breath and redirect. You may have to do it a hundred times, but just train yourself to redirect. And that's a lot of trust also. So, um, Good advice. Yeah. yeah. D- that deep breathing, redirecting, sort of pulling yourself back to the center. Um, but massage therapy actually has been studied and looked at as far as calming uh, pre-procedure and um, has been shown to be helpful. Um, Very and, helpful. Right. And Dr. Abstin, I also had another question. I noticed that there was some information about music therapy, playing music and um, in the uh in surgery and uh, prior to surgery, um, have you found that helpful? Have you ever noticed that that? Um... I haven't seen any data specifically talking about music, uh, music therapy, uh, but along the same lines as what Paco was saying with the massage pre-surgery, anything that can get you into a relaxed state, which can release endorphins and can decrease the amount of adrenaline or catecholamines is a fancy term, um, is good because the less of a stress state you're in pre-procedurally, the better your outcome potentially can be. So, yeah, massages are great. Right. Massage for everybody. (laughs) So endorphins are those good-feeling hormones, um, serotonin, um, which is just makes you feel better. Um, And then the the adrenaline, remember, is that that's released for the fight or flight. So anything that you can do to bring up endorphins and down the adrenaline, uh, the better off you'll be prior to surgery. So thanks for that call. Thanks for the reminder, Paco. We appreciate it. Um, Dr. Elkin, any other comments about the um, calming before surgery? It's a great idea. As Dr. Epson yeah. said, anything that helps the patient you know, feel more at, at ease and rest is great. And it's different for different people. And again, it goes exactly. back to that relationship. Uh, you know, I know you. I know what works for you. Let me try this. Right. Okay. Thanks for that call. Let's go now to um, Alan in Belzona. Good morning, Alan. Thanks for listening. Good morning. Uh, I just had a simple question, and my question today is in regards to I, I, I uh, frequently go to 
doctors for checkups and things of this nature. But it's mighty strange that sometimes I even have to tell a lie so that they would check other things. I'm six or seven years old when I was 55. I had to, you know, go through, even though my mother has a history, she died from heart disease. My father died from uh, a form of cancer, pancreatic cancer. And, uh, but you go to a doctor, you're constantly under their care. They ask you how you're doing and you're feeling fine. Okay, well, keep up the good work. But they never run real tests to see if there's anything inevitable going on. So I had to tell the line and say, well, I'm short of breath and I have this condition. Well, we need to go and, and, and do some stress tests from things of this nature. And I find that, you know, if you're under a doctor's care, it looks like they would be doing a little bit more to try to find out. I believe in prevention, so, but to try to find out what's going on with the person, even though they're feeling good, you can be feeling good and step away from a heart attack. Well, now, Alan, that's true, but there are some signs or symptoms if you really pay attention to your body and if you also pay attention to your family history. Now, you mentioned something. You had a significant family history that perhaps puts you at a little bit higher risk. Um, but I would encourage our listening audience to be all the way up front with their uh, physician because the the honest truth is the we do have sort of practice parameters of when you get test and why you get test and those practice parameters are set by information that we have from research, looking at when do you expect um, certain symptoms to happen or what are some of the risk factors for certain things to happen. Certainly, again, going back to um, breast cancer, for example, if if you have a, a, a mother or a sister who had breast cancer, then um, you are certainly going to start going through the preventive care earlier than those individuals um, who don't. And I know, Dr. Abstin, you probably have some other examples out there for us. Well, I'm just going to get a quick plug in for certain preventative tests that, you know, people put off for a little bit and they'll wait a year, then they'll wait two years and then they'll wait 10 years. Because I'll be honest, nobody wants to have a colonoscopy. Um <laughs> <laughs> but there's a reason that we start recommending it at, at, after age 50 because you want to make sure that there's nothing going on. Same with mammograms. You need to get your annual mammograms, especially in the setting of anyone who has, if there's a first-degree family relative, so your mother, sister um, that have had breast cancer, it's even more imperative. So I just want a quick plug in for getting those screening tests to make sure that they're done when we're supposed to. Right. And, Alan, my advice is if you feel like that there should be a test done, tell your doctor, I, I don't understand why you haven't decided to do a stress test on me. And get that doctor to explain. And if they don't give you an adequate explanation, then get a second opinion. Um, but be upfront with your doctor about the appropriate symptoms. Um, I want to thank all the callers and listeners. This has been a great show. I want to thank Dr. Elkin and Dr. Abston for contributing. Thanks so much. I think we got through a good bit of information, but the main thing to remember with all of this is 
Get over those doctor fears, hospital fears. Don't let it impact your health. Find ways to help. Find a practitioner that you can trust. And then a lot of that anxiety will go away. If you're with somebody now who you don't trust, find somebody else. Today's show was engineered by Java. Our call screener, I think, was also Java. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress. Join us next Tuesday at 11 for...